Christmas play um, last week was this, you know, behind, uh, behind the fresh prints of uh, Kohler or wherever you're from. You know, uh, the, the, uh, the, the idea was how would we respond to the greatest gift? How do we respond to the greatest gift? And we painted kind of the picture of different ways that people respond to this idea of Jesus uh, and, and grace that we would never do if we got like a, an actual Christmas present. Um, and, you know, it was called Groundhog Grace and seeing those different responses. And I felt challenged by it. And it really got me thinking because I had to speak afterwards. And so I'm like looking in and digging into this idea of grace. And, and, and this week I thought about it. After all the presents have been unwrapped and after all the decorations and the nativity set have been put away for next year, after the unwanted Christmas presents were turned into gift cards and returned on Boxing Day so you could get what you really wanted, uh, or uh, the ugly Christmas sweaters have been re-gifted to v- Value Village. After all of that's done, what about this greatest gift? What about this one thing that we thought about um, last week, this greatest gift of, of grace? Um, we, grace is a word we, you know, I thought I really understood, but as I, as I continue to look at this, I learn things about it that I, I just had never seen before. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, it talks about this idea of what grace means for us. Um, it was, it's something that, it's been a favorite verse of mine ever since I, I had the chance to memorize it as a child. It's, it says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of our works, lest anyone should boast. It was a, it was a gift um, given to, to us. But as I think about grace and uh, the, the, the ideas of it, I think about the word of it. What's grace? What is it really all about? It's a great name. Um, you know, you can use it for that. My wife, uh, it's her middle name, and it's perfect for her. Uh, you know, I asked my kids yesterday, do you, know, do you guys know what grace is? And Lincoln had, like, no idea. Dad, let me just get back to Xbox. And, uh, you know, Reese, I was like, hey, you know, do you know what the word grace is? She's like, ah, no, but I heard it in a song once. I'm like, oh, okay, what song? It's like, amazing grace. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So it, do you know what it means? No. I'm like, okay, we got to teach a little bit more at home on that, on, on that concept. But amazing grace. You know, one of the most famous, it is the most famous hymn, uh, a song that, you know, you've heard probably many times, um, not here, but many times, uh, having heard that song and thinking about it, what's so amazing about grace? Philip Yancey wrote a book with that title, uh, and as I've been uh, thinking about that and, and knowing I was going to speak last week on grace, I started doing this Bible, the Bible readings. You can do read through the Bible in a year. Uh, one of the ones was seven days reading about grace. So I started reading about it, and that was like, multiple days um, after I was finished the seven days, I kept going back. There's things I saw there that I just had had never really seen before. Grace is defined as this unmerited favor, undeserved favor, favor that you didn't deserve, favors approval and kindness that you don't deserve. That's what grace is. And a lot of times we think, you know, when we read this verse, for by grace you've been saved, um, by grace, by this undeserved kindness, by undeserved approval, you've been saved. And we think it's about salvation. At least I did. Uh, and I started realizing that there's more to it than that. Because there's this other word that's so similar to grace, and yet it's very different, is the word mercy. Mercy. You know, grace and mercy are these two things. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. So often we think about salvation and say, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And we think, you know what? We've been saved we, we, uh, we're, we're not going to get the judgment that we deserve for the sins that we've committed against God. We're not, we're not getting that. And that's actually not grace. That's, that's mercy. It says, but by the undeserved favor, you know, you've been saved. You've been shown mercy. We didn't get what we deserve. But the, th- the cool thing about grace is that it's the other side of that coin. It's everything after salvation. It's everything after that. It's all the good that God pours into our lives 
over and above. It's not just the idea of, oh man, I've been spared. I'm not getting what I, what I deserve, but I'm getting stuff that I, that I don't deserve. Um, in in the, the, the word grace, it's this word called charis. It's in the Bible 156 times. You think, well, that's 156 out of 10,000 verses. But the idea of it, the concept of it is all through um, the Bible. It's all through the New Testament. Uh, and you see it all over the place, mainly because of a guy named Paul. Paul's the guy who, uh, who wrote most of the New Testament. He was um, a, a guy who understood this word uh, because it changed his life. Uh, it, you look at, you look at uh, every single letter that he wrote, he started it with, this, with these words. He started with things that said like this, grace to you and peace, grace to you, undeserved, unmerited favor, kindness and approval to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote that to the Romans, the Corinthians, the Galatians, Ephesians, the Philippians, the Dutchians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians, Philemon, and a couple others. So us as well. You know, he wrote, he wrote these thoughts, grace to you and peace, because it's not just to those people back there. He's writing to every believer, to Timothy and Titus, his buddies. He wrote, hey, grace and mercy and peace. Not just grace, but grace and mercy and peace. In Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, but in the writings of Hebrews, it said too, you boldly enter the throne room of God's grace. Boldly come to this place of undeserved favor that you might find mercy. You might find this, hey, I'm not getting what, a, what I deserve, and that you would find the other side as well, that you allow him to pour out into your life things that, that you don't deserve as well in time of need, that you would go there boldly and, and know it. Um, Peter wrote a similar message. Um, he said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. John wrote this idea of grace and mercy uh, and, and peace to you. Uh, and this, this sounds like just kind of like, well, I guess that's how you start a letter back in the day. It just seems like the common greeting, but it wasn't the common greeting. The common greeting, we see it only once in the Bible. The common greeting they would use it in back then was this word, um, uh, greetings. That's, that's how they would greet one another. So James starts his by saying, greetings. And, you know, we can get to this spot where we look at it and say, yeah, you know, he just kind of wrote, you know, grace to you and peace because that's how you start a, a conversation, uh, a letter back in the day. And we have this thing about um, introductions and, and starting conversations that we just, we don't actually listen to the first chunk of, of any of our conversations until we get to the good stuff. How many times have you gone down the road and said, hey, how you doing? And really, and really cared. Right? We, we don't, right? Like, uh, hey, how you doing? Is like a pickup line for Joey Tribbiani and Friends fans. But other than that, it means nothing, right? We don't really want to know. This week I was visiting somewhere and I said, hey, how you doing? And she's like, I'm terrible. And I was like, well, this is new. Uh, and so I was like, what do you mean you're terrible? And she says to me, she's like, I did, I, 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 I said, why are you asking me any more questions? And I'm like, well, because you just answered the question in the opposite way of what I expected it to be. And so um, she's like, yeah, I did that on purpose so you wouldn't ask me any more questions. I don't want to talk about anything, right? I don't want you to know how I'm doing. And I'm like, but now I'm intrigued because, because for once it's this chance of I actually wanted to know. But so often we just write that off. It's like, hey, how you doing? It doesn't mean anything. And ah, grace, peace to you. Even the commentators on, on, on the Bible often just skip right kind of passes and go to the other stuff. But Paul, it was everything to him. Not only did he start every letter that way, he ended every letter that way. Grace, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This unmerited favor on your lives, let it, understand that it not only is it the beginning, but the end, but it's this whole encompassing thing. When he wrote Galatians, we studied that here, and he was mad. Paul was angry when he wrote to this church because they were doing something. He says, you guys are leaving this idea of grace, and you're going back to this idea of, I got to impress God with my works. He's like, do you realize what you're doing? You're taking God's undeserved favor 
The stuff that, the, the blessings that he just pours out on your life for stuff that you haven't even earned, you're going to trade that and try and work for it? He's like, you're nuts. It, ne- it never worked back in the day. It doesn't work now. Don't ever get away from this idea of grace. I thought, you know, I, I don't know when the last time I really thought about grace was. I, I know I've never really preached on it. Preached on different, you know, kind of thoughts about it. As we went through Galatians, we kind of, we kind of talked about the idea of it, but not to the, not to the particular things. And, and I've learned some things about, about it, uh, and, and I want to share it with you as well. Paul, he shares about it because of his, his experience uh, with grace was this. He was overwhelmed by the concept of grace. Overwhelmed by it. It wasn't just a message to him. It was his life. He was a murderer. You know, if we're going to chalk up sins, you know, we're going to be going up there. You know, the guy who deals drugs to your kids at high school, he's probably way up there. You know, the guy who, uh, you know, uh, is whatever, steals, robs banks, and then murderers. I mean, they're like top of the list of the bad guys. This is Paul. He says Paul not only is a murderer, he's a murderer of a specific group of people. He's killing, he's killing the followers of Jesus Christ. You know, if anybody, it's like, the, it's like God's kids. The ones that, that it, it's that, that same concept of if, if somebody was coming after, you know, it's, if somebody's killing children, you're like, yeah, that's a bad deal. But if they're killing your children, it's like, oh, it's on, right? Like this is, there's protect, this mode comes into us, this higher level. And this is who Paul's attacking. And, and on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus Christ. And he's overwhelmed by grace and mercy because he's forgiven for all of his crimes against God. And, and, and not only that, not only shown mercy, but shown this grace and saying, you know what? Not only that, but I'm going to use your life to be an incredible blessing to the world. I'm not only just going to let you off the hook, I'm going to change you to become something that changes the world. And we have these letters as a result. Grace to him wasn't a concept. Grace to Paul was uh, everything that Jesus was, everything that Jesus is, and everything that Jesus had done in his life was this idea of grace couple thoughts on grace. If you're taking some notes, write them down so you can take a look later and, and check it up just to see. But here's, here's some of the thoughts. Grace, grace isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. You think about fair, uh, there's something in us that when we're born, we, we want life to be fair. Ever heard that? Oh, that, you know, that's just not fair. I used to drive a, a truck full of ducks to New York City, and I mean, I get crazy looks on the way, but there was one person that I would always meet every single week as I would uh, take these uh, live ducks down to New York City, and that was the vet who was just on the other side of the border. Uh, his name was Doc Hashmi. He was a Muslim, uh, and I, I, all I needed from him was for him to look at my truck and stamp my paperwork and let me go, uh, but it always turned into more than that. After the first couple of weeks, and he found out I was a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and he was uh, Muslim, we began to talk, and we'd sit down there across from his desk, and, and, and it didn't matter. Sometimes it's half an hour, sometimes it was an hour, just depending on how long he wanted to talk to me about, about his faith, and then he would stamp my paperwork and let me go. Well, one of the things that we would always do is, um, I would always ask him, you know, somewhere in there, hey, what's the word of wisdom for, for the day? Because after the word of wisdom, he would stamp my paperwork and let me go. Uh, so I, I'd ask him, what's the word of wisdom? And he would always say, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, what religion you follow, the only word of, the, my word of wisdom for you today is be fair. And I was like, be fair. Yeah, that's, it sounds really, really good. And I, w- I would leave and the next week would go through the same deal and ask him the word of wisdom. He's like, the word of wisdom is be fair. I'm like, come on, doc, that's your word of wisdom for last week. He's like, that's going to be the word of wisdom next week and the week after, you know. And, and, and it was every single time, be fair. This idea of being 
uh, being fair. And I know as a child, we want it to be that way. At Christmas, it doesn't matter what age you are. My, my son Finley, he's two years old. Uh, and this Christmas, we learned the volume that his little voice can go. Uh, he can just raise a stink about stuff. And I know in his, in his heart, he wants to say that what's happening is not fair. But he just doesn't know those words. He just screams. But his whole deal has been that Lincoln got these little Mario and Luigi figures, uh, these little things you can, these action figures you can play with, two Marios, two Luigis. Well, of course, Lincoln shares one of them with his favorite brother, who's Maddox, and uh, Finley doesn't get one at all. So that's, you know, he's, he's angry and he wants one. So then finally we're like, okay, Link, can you let, let Finley play with one of these little characters? And he's like, he's okay. So he gives him the one. Well, one stands up and one on its own and one doesn't. So, you know, Finley, of course, gets the one that doesn't stand up on its own. He's two, but he knows. And he starts screaming. He wants that one. So we switch. And then he realizes that he has one that's different than the other one. So he's screaming because he wants that one. So Boxing Day, after two days of screaming, Beth's like, I'm going to Winners. You know, I'm going to go find another Mario, another Luigi, because this cannot carry it, continue on. And as she goes, I just, I just uh, distracted him with another toy, and it was peace and quiet. I don't know how she hasn't learned that yet in all these years. of. Been... <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. She went to, I'm just kidding. She went to, delete that. She went to Winners. Let's make sure you're listening. She went to Winners and uh, didn't find, didn't find any of this. But you know that so many times in our household, we hear those words. That's not fair. My parents were here last night and I was talking um, about that. I was raised that way. My parents knew that when I was a child too. And uh, they, they, they realized that there's this in us of being fair or not fair. And I loved it when they would give us like an apple or a snack or a can of pop, you know, once a year that we got to share. One person, me being the oldest, would always get to, uh, to divvy it up. And when my brother was younger, the apple, I just cut off a piece of the, the uh, you know, the, the peel and be like, that's your part and this is mine, right? And so my parents, after they found out that he knew what was fair and not fair, was they made this rule. You cut and you choose. Well, that changed everything. Now it was like, I mean, I'm going to cut, and I would measure that apple. I would level it, put the knife down, make sure. Because it had to be perfect, right? Because it had to be fair if he was going to choose. We got pop. It was like two glasses had to be the exact same glass, and you'd pour it microscopically different between the two levels because it had to be fair. They knew that my parents are geniuses. They knew they're born with this God-given or wherever it came from, uh, thing of wanting stuff to be fair. They said, we'll just let them work that out. And every single time, it was like that, that idea of it has to be fair. So when we think about this, we, there's a part of us that we want things to be fair when we're receiving something good. And then there's this other side of us that doesn't want life to be fair. We don't really want life to be, um, to be fair in, in other times. Like when you get caught speeding by the police, you don't really want him to be fair, do you? When he comes up to your window and says, do you know how fast you're going? Yes, I do. And I want you to, like, prosecute me to the farthest end of the law. Be fair, police officer. Give me the highest ticket that I deserve. You don't. You try and talk. I was on my way to church. You know, my Bible just fell off the dash. I was reaching over to get it. That's all it was, officer. My phone might have been out, but I wasn't texting. You know, that whatever it was, it, you try to get out of it. And, and we even have this expectation that, you know, they shouldn't, Come on, officers, 19 over. You shouldn't pull me over unless it's 20 over, right? You know, I have this expectation of they're going to write it down. We have this thought because we, we don't really want them to be fair when it comes to stuff like that. You know, if it's at a court trial, it's the idea of team mercy versus team justice. And you cheer for both the team. It depends on which seat you're sitting in. I've been to court trials 
where somebody, a murderer, I've been to court trials for a murderer where one side was all full of people who had been, um, who had lost uh, or knew the family who had lost the child. And they're sitting there and all they want is justice. They're not going to be happy unless it's the full side. And on the other hand is all the family members of the person who, who, uh, who had killed that child in a car accident and all they want is mercy. And you see that played out, and yet it plays out in us, and it plays out in this whole thing. There's a mercy rule that we have in sports, you know, especially for the church baseball league. You know, when one team is up by 70 runs and the other's like, you know, has three innings to go, they pull in the mercy rule and say, we don't want them to have to suffer any longer. Let's just call this mercy rule. It would have been so great if um, Slovakia had that the other night against Canada, uh, eight nothing, or the Leafs a month ago when they lost nine to two. They don't have it in pro sports, but this mercy rule, we understand we don't even want to watch. It's just painful. There's that idea that God saw that for us and and gave us this gift of grace. But grace isn't fair. Last night I heard somebody sharing too. He's like, you know, I hate that about this. I hate that because there's people who can just go and live their life as bad as they want. And as long as at the last day, you know, before they die, they say, Jesus, I believe in you. They're good. I'm like, if you want to risk it, you go ahead, right? You know, God's grace can save you. But if you want to take that chance that you know when that's going to be. But it's this idea of, oh, you know, here I am serving the Lord and living my boring life. And they're getting away with everything uh, because of this idea of, of grace. At the end, they could be saved. Didn't know how to process that. Grace isn't fair and it's a good thing. But here's another thought. Grace isn't free. Grace isn't free. We think about that, that scripture in Ephesians where it says, you know, it's a gift. Didn't cost us anything. This idea of being forgiven didn't cost us anything, but it wasn't free. It cost, it cost you know, as we sing about the songs, it cost the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for us, that somebody had to pay for the sin that we've committed, and it was him. I, I think about, you know, that the, the John, when we studied John, Uh, In chapter 1, he describes Jesus as grace and truth walking around. Jesus was grace and truth. You know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent grace. That he sent grace. God so loved you that he sent grace. He sent grace. He sent this idea of you're not going to get what you deserve, and I'm going to bless you incredibly over and above that. He lived out grace perfectly. Um, Philip Yancey in his book said this, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. It cost him something. You know, we're going to just look at a little bit about the fact that God wants grace to be lived out in our lives, in our relationships. Do you know that when we live out our lives with grace, it costs us something? Those people in your family, they don't deserve grace. <laughs> you know it, because you're thinking about the person's face just came to your mind right now, right? You're like, oh, and yet, you know, we think about that person shared last night saying, you know, hey, that person just lives their life any way they want to. They don't deserve grace at the last second. Grace, it's not, it's not fair, which makes it, which makes it amazing. But if you have those thoughts, you're like, oh, for me to live in a relationship with my husband, aunt, uncle, daughter, cousin, boss, employee, whatever it may be, there's this idea of grace. And the idea of grace not being free is grace always, um, grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. Grace is only free because the giver has borne the cost. We're grateful when God does it for us, but he's calling us to do that for others. This same, this same thought um, of, of living it out, grace, it's not fair, 
Grace isn't free. Grace must not be um, forgotten. Grace must not be forgotten. Do you ever find yourself judging people in your mind? <laughs> Every once in a while, you just look and you're like, did you see somebody who's kind of in need or hurt? And you're like, yeah, but oh, if they would just stop buying lotto tickets, I wouldn't have to help them out at Christmas, right? Like, no? Okay. Um, maybe for you, it's, um, it's different. Do you think you look, at, you look at lives, you think, you know, hmm, and sometimes you judge them. And where does that come from? Where does it come from? Where's that idea of looking down on pe- uh, other people? You know, what, you, know, you know what it is? It's this idea of forgotten grace. It's this idea of we forget about it. Uh, and I realized, too, Paul just lived his life completely in every day with this idea of grace. I live under it and I show it. The same thought um, is, is for us, is this idea of, of showing grace. Jesus, um, he was hanging out with his disciples one day, and Matthew chapter 18 tells a story. Peter comes up to him and kind of wants to talk to Jesus about some stuff. And he says to, he says, Jesus, this, you know, this guy has wronged me. How many times must I forgive him? Seven times? Thinking, that's pretty good. If I forgive him seven times in a day, that, that's pretty good. And Jesus says to him, let me tell you a story. And so he says, there was this, this, there was this king who had this guy who owed him, uh, the, the measure of money that he uses is compared to millions of dollars today. So this man owes him millions of dollars and he goes before the king and, and the king says, I need you to pay the debt. And, and he's like, I, I can't pay it. And he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to take your wife. I'm going to take your kids. I'm going to sell them. I'm going to put you in one of my, you know, quarries and you're going to work there until you pay this whole debt off. And you're like, yeah, that's a cool story. Now think about if it's you. He's going to take Beth. He's going to take Reese, Lincoln, Maddox. Some days that would be okay. Thinner, you know. I'm going to sell, I'm just, I'm going to sell them. See, we, we, we sometimes read these stories and we just think, ah, it's just stories. He's saying, listen, think about how big this is because this is not just millions of dollars. That's just money. It's going to cost you your relationships with the most important people in your life. He says, your wife, your kids, I'm taking them, I'm selling them. And he says, you know what? The man gets down on his knees and he begs for more time. He says, I'll pay it all. Please, please, please don't do this. And the king has compassion. And it says to him, it says in verse 27, the only part I want to show you in this verse, it says this, then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him. You know what that is? That's mercy. He let him go and have more time. He says, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to give you what you deserve right now. I'm going to give you more time. That's mercy. But it says, it says one more thing. It says, and he forgave his debt. See, that's grace. Forgave the debt and said, you know what? You owe me millions that you, you can't pay. But I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to let you go. I'm forgiving that. Basically, I'm giving you the millions. I'm giving you your wife. I'm giving you all the things that you couldn't possibly get on your own. I'm giving that back to you. Grace. This outpouring and over, over, um, above. But you know, the story doesn't end there. We think, man, that's awesome. What a great king. The story goes on to say that that man leaves that place. He's so happy, gives his wife a kiss, hugs all his kids. I'm like, oh man, I've just been forgiven. And then he's walking down the road and he sees his neighbor, Joe, and Joe owes him five bucks. And he goes to Joe's house, he knocks on the door and says, Joe, I need the money. And he's like, I don't, I don't have it. He's like, what do you mean you don't have it? And he says he grabs him by the neck and starts to strangle him. He says, give me the five dollars. Well, the people who had just witnessed all of this in the courtroom of the king see this and say, hey, wait a second, this isn't right. They tell the king, say, listen, the guy you just forgave millions is beating up someone for $5. And the king grabs that guy back in and says, listen, I forgave you millions. You can't forgive someone $5. 
and he says he gets the punishment he originally was intended. Why? See, the, the whole idea of the story is forgotten grace. How many times should I forgive Jesus? Seven times I've been wronged. Do I have to really forgive that person? And he says, not just seven times. Don't you realize what you've been forgiven? See, in all of our lives, he's calling us to show this grace to others that we think is massive. Do I have to forgive those people for everything they've done in my life? Do I have to offer grace? Do I have to go through the cost? Because it costs me to do that. That king lost the millions. Do I have to go through the loss of this? Yeah, but you see people sometimes that have this impossibility of forgiving other people. And you look at it from the outside and you're like, it's really not that big of a deal. Or yeah, it's, it's a big deal, but it's doable and they can't do it. And we look at it and what, what is it? When you talk to them, it's just seething inside. They're so focused on what they're owed, they forget of what they've been forgiven. See, because grace actually affects our real relationships. It's not just about stories, it's about our lives. Grace isn't free for us. We're good. Grace isn't free for us. It isn't fair. Cannot be forgotten. Because the last thought is this, grace is meant to be lived out. Grace was meant to be lived out. It wasn't just this idea of salvation for us and, oh, that's good for us. This idea of living it out. Jesus, uh, huh. He was hanging out at a Pharisee's house named Simon. Simon invited him over for dinner. You'd think a Pharisee was a good church-going guy. And so Jesus, you'd think he wants to hang out with the good church-going people, right? That's where he wants to be. Well, when they're at the house, um, this lady comes in, this woman caught. She was, um, the, the people from the town knew her by her reputation. They said, you know, as she came in, um, they're all kind of looking, what's she doing here? What's she going to do here? And she does something that is told about um, ever since then. She came in, she, she came by Jesus, she knelt down by his feet, and she began to cry. As her tears fell on his feet, she, she washed them with her hair, and then she anointed his feet with this uh, expensive perfume. It's an incredible story. But Simon looks over and he says, you know, Jesus, in his mind, he says, who is, how can the Messiah not know what's going on? How can he not know what kind of woman is, is touching him right now? She's a sinner. And the Bible says that Jesus answered his thoughts. See, because a lot of times we think as long as we're thinking it, not saying it, it's okay. If it's just judging in our heads, it's fine. But he knows the thoughts. And so he says, Simon, I got a question for you. And Simon's probably like, oh man, can he read minds? Nah, he can't read minds. Okay, Jesus, what's up? He's like, hey, this woman that just came in, you know, he says, you notice her? He's like, yeah, I, I noticed her. He's like, did you see what she did? He's like, yeah, I saw what she did. She touched you, you know? And he's like, she did something incredible. You know, you didn't even offer to uh, wash my feet when I came in, but she's washed them with her tears. You didn't offer the courtesy of just olive oil for my head, and she's like anointing me with this incredible expensive oil. And as he's looking, he's just see that thought. He says, you know why? Because she is a sinner, and so are you. But she realizes she's been forgiven much, and he who's forgiven much loves much. He who's forgiven little loves little. But guess what? How many of you have been forgiven little? I didn't think so. How many of you have been forgiven much? I'll be the first one. Simon's like the one who says, you know, didn't see it, didn't realize it. Why? Forgotten grace. But he says to live it out. Let me leave you with this thought. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 31, Jesus said this, but to you who are willing to listen, back then and today, to you who are willing to listen, to what Jesus would say, he says, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to do what he says. He says this, he says, love your enemies. Doesn't say anything. The word grace isn't there. But man, that's grace. 
doesn't it cost us to love our enemies? Love's not, oh, I have feelings of love for them. It's act out, do things out of love for those who we would call enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What? Do good to those people who hate me? We shared last night, man, it's heartbreaking to watch this girl uh, in tears put out a prayer request saying, you know what? I'm being bullied at school. I, I was beaten, physically beaten on the last day of school. I don't want to go back. Said, but it's worse than that because I feel like God doesn't exist because I'm going through this pain. If he really existed, why am I going through this? Please pray for me that I don't leave him. Man, like that thought, and then as we read about grace, this idea that there's hurting people, hurting her, but this thought of do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. I just want to curse them back. No. Grace is going to cost you. It's going to cost you some pride. It's going to cost you some things. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other as well. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try and get them back. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. You know the golden rule, but as I read that, think about it in the aspect of grace. What do we want others to do for us when it comes to the idea of grace? Do we want them to go and say, hey, you know, you should get what you deserve? No. We, we, we're on that side of, please, don't give me what I deserve. Give me grace. Give me mercy. And he's saying the same thing. Show that to the world. Live that way. Amazing how that can affect marriages. If we would live that way, amazing how it can affect our parenting, our, our, the, the way we work and where we work, the relationships that we have. If we get this concept of, yeah, it's going to cost me something, but he's paid way more. He's paid way more. Philip Yancey uh, had this quote in his book, and I want to leave you with this. Because grace is kind of difficult to explain, but he said, I would rather, far rather, convey grace than explain it. I would ra- far rather live out and show grace than try to explain it. You know, with, with this woman that came to Jesus, she came to him. She came to the house where he was. She ran to the place, you know, where the worst that she felt about herself, she ran to Jesus trusting that he was going to be a refuge. Philip asked in his book, has the church lost that? Because you think about that, the people that we look at that feel the worst about themselves should find the greatest comfort and greatest hope in Jesus Christ and in a relationship with him. And he shows himself through the church. I love Kingsway. Um, I love the, the way you guys do that well. That people just feel like, hey, you know what? I just, I just come here and I feel loved and I feel welcome. I feel accepted. Because you are. Because that's who he is and he lives in you. He's shown you incredible grace. He's shown me incredible grace. And he's asking us to do the same. So as we close out one year and start another, I encourage you to think about those thoughts. What does that look like for me in 2015? Because the people's faces that, that, uh, that he's already dropped in your heart and your head, probably the ones that could use some grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that's alive and real and affects us in real ways. But above all, Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for loving us enough when we didn't deserve it to give your life for us. For those in this place that don't know you, Jesus, I pray that they, they have just a, an understanding and, an, and be able to accept that, that gift of life. May we go out this rest of this year living uh, as shining lights for you. May our world be changed because of who you are. Thank you for loving us. It's in return we are able to love you. In your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.